Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Hey, again, welcome everybody online. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead. We're just circling around one verse today, and that is found in Joshua chapter 24. We started this last week, and uh, we're going to continue that today. Today, the title of my message is, As for me and my house, we will serve King Jesus. All right, this is going to be good. As for me and my house, we will serve King Jesus. If I had a backup title, I would call it, Jesus is King and it's better that way. Jesus is king, and it's better that way. Let's get to work. Uh, a couple summers ago, Melanie and I, we, we, we zipped down across the border back when you were still allowed to do that, and we went to Maine. We went down to Freeport for a weekend of late summer. It was like the end of August, kind of the last hurrah. My parents took our kids, and we went down to Freeport to do some shopping. And as often happens when we travel together, Melanie and I, and we have to spend that much time in the car together, the debate about music always comes up. Now, if we're just driving around here, you know, we pop on worship music and we both can jive to that. But when there's several hours involved, our differences come out to play. And uh, there was a day where I would pretend to like her music. Uh, That day is long gone. And, and now there's just a real reality of two people who, who like different music. You see, my wife likes Dan and Shay and Thomas Rhett and Rascal Flatts, and I like good music. Um, <laughs> shots fired. So we were, we're driving down, and we, we decide, you know what, let's, let's go through the list of the four bands and four people over the years that we've both liked. And we, we decided we hadn't listened to one particular artist in a long time, a guy named Matt Kearney. And we, we used to love him back in the day, and so we went and found him on iTunes. We're like, hey, he's got a new album out. We listened to it, and we bumped that thing the whole way down to Portland. We had a great time. We loved, his, loved the music. And then, by some sovereign gift of God's goodness, we pull into Freeport. And I kid you not, we go straight to L.L. Bean, because that's what you do when you go to Freeport. We went to L.L. Bean, and there, in the, in the concert area next to L.L. Bean, They were setting up for a free open-air Matt Carney concert. You can't even write this stuff. In some divine act of God's goodness or quantum entanglement or something, we showed up and that concert happened. It was awesome. So that became like the soundtrack for that weekend. We had such a good time. And there was this one song that we just played over and over again. It's this feel-good summer song called Kings and Queens. And in the song, he talks about him and his girl when they first started being together. They had no money and they had no, no, nothing really to their name except they were happy to be together. And he said, we'll be kings and queens in our own minds. Kings and queens in our own minds. And the whole idea is that you don't really need anybody else's approval. You can just establish your own kingdom as long as you're good in your own mind. And that, that, that song came to my mind when I was thinking and praying about how to jump in to today's conversation about our values and this idea of kings and queens in our own minds. Matt Carney is being partially tongue-in-cheek, but partially that is the air we breathe today. Today on planet Earth, there are 7.6 billion little monarchs, kings and queens in their own minds. And I want to untangle that today because that mentality, as common as it is, has actually affected and infected the church. And it has caused us to have built ourselves in a place that might actually be a deception. 
And so I want to unpack that today as we continue in our series called As For Me In My House. If you were with us last week, we started into this conversation we were having. We said that we are right now in a season of transition as a church, that the pandemic has, has kind of disrupted things, and it's actually accelerated trends and changes that were already happening on planet Earth, and it's sped up the timeline to where we have found ourselves as believers, as families, as men and women, as mothers and fathers, as campuses, we found ourselves in a place of uncharted territory. And so in these times, we said it's, it's important that we reestablish the main things and we reset our foundations. And we took that instruction from Joshua when he had led the Israelites into new territory and got them established in a new land, in a new place, in a new time. And he said this, he said, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. No decision is a decision, so make the decision who you're going to serve. You are surrounded by other gods and options and cultural currents. But then he said this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we looked at this idea of making a decision and realizing that there are cultures and kingdoms surrounding us everywhere. That right now you are currently surrounded by not passive, but active forces that are pushing up against you, calling you for your submission and surrender. And we talked about how we have got to learn in this season as believers how to establish our house on the rock, how to build our house in the, in, in the, in the culture of the kingdom of God and on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And we said, though, don't make a mistake in this season as we talk about our values. This isn't about protecting ourselves. And this isn't about building up high walls so that we can keep the world out. No, 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 it's the total opposite. This isn't about kingdom protection. This is about kingdom propagation, that a healthy culture in the church is actually what will influence the world around her. And that as we allow God to do a fresh work and pour new wine into new wineskins, we believe that this will overflow and that this will run out into the world that we live in. And we are expecting and getting revival ready, we said last week. Amen. How many of you know that God's blessings can be burdens if you're not built for them? And so we're asking God right now to help build this house, to establish us with deeper foundations so that we can hold up when the wave of renewal happens in, the East, in Atlantic Canada and goes all across North America. We're going to be ready for it. But it's a time right now to reset. And so that's what we've been doing. We are resetting our foundations. And I just want to say this, and you might have been to churches in the past that the pastor would never say this. I'm going to say it. This is a great time for you to decide whether you're in or out. And this is a great time. We're going to put full stop, full disclosure. Here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. If you believe it, stand in it. If you don't, get out. And this is a great time to choose to say, hey, this is my church or that's not my church. And I'm going to give you full permission. You got 10 weeks. So here we go. This is the time to explore who we are and decide whether you're going to build like we are. And today we're getting right down to the heart of it. The, the main thing, the most critical point of alignment in this conversation has to do with who you believe. Jesus is and what you believe the kingdom is all about and who King Jesus is. And here's the big idea. We've got a saying around here. It's part of our code. It's part of our ethos. And it is this, that we are kingdom people and that we exist for king and kingdom. And here's how we've typified this value. And I want to break it down for us, that we surrender our whole lives in total allegiance to King Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Can I get an Amen. 
that we are a Jesus church. We are a Jesus people and we believe that Jesus is king and that if he's actually king, that has all kinds of implications on our lives right now and right here. And now here's the thing, and I wanna unpack this for a minute. It's very possible to read a statement like that and agree, and agree generally in our minds and say, yes, that's true, Jesus is king, and yet have places and spaces in our lives where we clearly don't actually believe that. And what the enemy wants to do is this. He will do two things to try to bring destruction and to bring a lack of integrity in our foundation. He will actually try to get you to think less of Jesus and more of you. And that is the two ditches that the enemy has worked on since the beginning. We could do a study in Genesis chapter 3 of how he tempted Adam and Eve. It's to think less of God and less of Jesus and think more of ourselves. And that is where we get things messed up. And Jesus warned us that it's highly possible to think that you are serving Jesus and to think that you have built your life on the foundation and on the rock of King Jesus, but in actuality have been deceived into serving someone or something that is not actually the Lord Jesus. And he gave this sobering warning at the end of his sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, right before he said, build your house on me. Whoever hears my word and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus gave this warning. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says Jesus is king will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. It's about alignment. Many will say to me on that day. Now, now what, does that, what does that word say? It says what? It says a few it says many. This is sobering. It says many to me, well, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away. Go away. And what is Jesus getting at? He's saying it's possible. No, actually, he's saying it's probable that there will be people who think they have built their lives on the rock of King Jesus, but in actuality have been deceived into some false gospel, some quasi-kingdom with some quasi-king. And this is what Jesus is getting at. And this is where we go wrong. They had an incorrect vision of who Jesus is and what that means. And so today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I've been praying that the Holy Spirit reveals these things in our hearts because what I'm about to share with you is probably nothing you've never heard or nothing you've never thought of, but we need the Holy Spirit to reestablish Jesus as King in the heart of this church, amen? It needs to drive deeper than ever before. It needs to go further into the ground, into the rock that we believe. As for me and my house, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And to do that, I wanna do a couple things. I wanna get clarity. I already told you that the enemy will try to distort two things. He will try to dis distort who Jesus actually is by making him less than he actually is, or he will try to dis distort who we actually are by putting more of the burden and more of the, more of the honor on us. And I want to untangle that for us for a few minutes, and I want to establish who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means for us. Are, are you with me? Are you ready? Halifax, St. John, here we go. Let's dive in. So we need to start with a right view of God. This is where it all goes wrong. Do you remember in the garden that Satan said, did God really say? Oh, no, he just wants to hold back from you. The enemy will first, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, it says that, that the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers and then he puts up lies to keep us from seeing the knowledge, from actually having the accurate knowledge of who God is. Now, the gospel is often misunderstood. Now, what does the word gospel mean? At all of our locations, online, what does it mean? Gospel means good news. Y'all know that. We know that. 
But a lot of us, we stop there with our definition of it and then we just fill in the rest of it and we think it means good news and then we think the good news means this. But if I were to go around and sit down with each one of you all, all across our locations and say, what is the gospel to you? What we would probably hear are a lot of partial gospels or quasi-gospels, or maybe even superficial gospels, most of the time in our context that are centered around a personal salvation and forgiveness of sins, which is part of the gospel. But I've got to let you know today, the gospel is much bigger than what a lot of us have come to believe it is. The gospel is bigger than just Jesus died to forgive your sins. The gospel is bigger than just Jesus died and rose again to take you to heaven someday. The gospel is absolutely this enormous thing, and we actually are very prone to getting it wrong. If we had time, I mean, we could do a study of every book in the New Testament. The, 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 the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are the account of what they saw Jesus do. And then the rest are all these letters to try to bring clarity to the gospel. We are very prone to believing lies about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if we went through First and Second Corinthians and Romans and we went through Ephesians, they're all corrections and clarifications on the gospel. Paul, it's almost like Paul was like, y'all, you have to get this right. If you get nothing else right, you have to get the gospel right. You have got to be accurate. This is who Jesus is. And all of the New Testament letters give a different angle and a different shape and shade as to who Jesus is. And so we've got to get some accuracy. So here's, here's my working definition for what the gospel is. Okay, you ready? This is my definition. This is in my words. There's probably better definitions out there, but this is how I'm going to explain it to you today. This is the good news about Jesus, according, in my, in my estimation, according to what the New Testament is trying to tell us. The gospel, actually, what the whole Bible is trying to tell us. The gospel is the what? It's good news that who, what? Let's read that again. You read the yellow parts. The gospel is the... That, yes, the gospel is the good news that Jesus is king over what? Over everything. And that he has taken charge over the powers of sin, Satan, and death through his death and resurrection. He reigns over all and is establishing a kingdom without end. And if I had more room, I would invite, and he invites us all to freely be a part of it. This is actually the, the gospel in its essence. It is the good news that Jesus is king, come on somebody, over everything and that he has taken charge. He is presently in charge over the powers of sin, Satan, and death through his death and resurrection. And he reigns over all and is currently, presently establishing a kingdom without end. Can I get an amen? That's some good news. That's some good news. And Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Do you know what Jesus' central message was? Here's what it is. If anyone ever asks you, what, what, was, what was the main sermon that Jesus preached in a sentence? It's this. Repent, the kingdom is here. That's the message of Jesus. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. And he had connected the coming and the reality and the, establish of the establishment of the kingdom and the invitation to repent, to turn to the kingdom in himself. 
This is why he rolled into his hometown and pulled out the scroll of Isaiah, pulled it out and said, you know, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, good news to the poor. And he rolls it back up and he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Here I am, the kingdom is here. That is the gospel that Jesus preached. That the kingdom of heaven, the reality of heaven is here in him. And he's inviting us to live under that reality. So it's not something that's going to be although it's advancing, it's something that presently is. And he believed that the kingdom had been and was being established by himself. And so here's the deal. Here's where we get it twisted. The gospel is news. It's news. It's, it's, It's a truth that you either believe or you don't. Here's one way to say it. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus is king that Jesus is king. It's an announcement, not advice. Now, some of you are like, I don't, I don't get the difference. Well, you treat announcements different than you treat advice, don't you? A lot of the time we have packaged the gospel like it's this thing that's good for you, that you, when you take it off the shelf and you apply it to your life, it's gonna have beneficial qualities. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is a reality that you either believe is or isn't. And the news is very different than advice. You can take the advice of some, you know, self-help thinker, Tony Robbins. It might be good advice, but the news that Jesus is Lord, you treat very different. And we get it very twisted. You see, the enemy wants us to think it's advice, not a reality that is. And he wants us to think that there's things that we have to add to it, that it's incomplete, that unless you apply it a certain way, unless you do certain things, that the gospel doesn't have quite the power that it needs to have. And so we'll get it twisted into thinking that the gospel is something that we have to do. You got to apply it. You got to work it. And now we're going to talk about what it means to live in the light of the gospel, but don't get it twisted. The gospel isn't something that is to be done. The gospel is something that has been done. Come on. The gospel is something that actually has already been done. Jesus didn't say when he gave up his last breath, he didn't say, almost done. Did he? He said, it's finished. It's done. And then when he rose from the dead, it had begun. The new creation had begun. Because some of you are thinking when I say Jesus is king over everything, the gospel is the good news that he took over the power of sin, Satan, and death, and he's establishing his creation and it is rolling out on the earth right now. Some of you are thinking, well, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like Jesus is Lord. It looks like all kinds of things are running. Hell is running wild. Jesus didn't say that his kingdom was going to come like this. He actually said, think about it like a seed. Think about it like a, like a, a farmer who scatters seed and it grows. The kingdom has been growing and going and growing and going since the day he rose from the dead. Heart by heart, day by day, community by community, church by church. It's like a mustard seed that starts out very small and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until the whole world looks like heaven. That's the gospel. And there's nothing that you have to do. And why am I, why am I hammering on this? Because the enemy wants to convince you. He wants to sell you fake news. Pretty much all news is fake news these days. But anyway, I'm going to back off of that one. He wants to sell you fake news. He wants to tell you that the gospel, you know, it's, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to be a good person. You've got to, you know, you can't drink or chew or go with girls who do. Right? Some of you old school, old school church people know that one. But that's, that's the gospel isn't something to be done. The gospel is something that has been done. It's done. It's done. 
Or some, some versions of the gospel, some false gospels are if you, if you apply Jesus to your life, then he'll make you rich and healthy. But that's actually not the gospel. The gospel actually is that God has already given you the most precious thing in the whole universe in his son. He's not holding anything back from you. And just because you prayed for a Ferrari and he didn't give it to you, that is not the accurate gospel. The gospel is that God, the Bible says that by his stripes you have been healed. So maybe healing looks more than just these physical bodies. The gospel is about wisdom that has already been revealed. A lot of the time the enemy will try to twist and to to say, well, there's, there's secret knowledge that goes beyond the gospel that you need to learn about. The gospel says that Jesus is enough, that the revelation is in him. So the enemy will come in and try to distort and try to destroy. But here's the deal. I want, you, I want you to know this, church, and I want to plant this deep in our hearts. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is the king over everything. Jesus is king over everything, even death. He rose from the dead, and that he is establishing, he has begun and is establishing his kingdom, a brand new creation, a kingdom of life that is everlasting, and he invites us to freely come and have life in his kingdom, full life that lasts forever. That sounds like good news to me. It's not Jesus and, or it's not prosperity gospel or progressive gospel, or social justice gospel, the gospel is and stands alone, and we stand under it or we don't. That's it. You either believe it is by faith or you don't. There's no, there's no, there's no straddling the line, and I believe this is what Jesus was getting at. I think he was saying, don't get caught in a quasi-gospel. Don't get caught with one foot planted in a half-truth and one foot planted in a lie of culture. Don't do it, because it will take you down. You have got to get clarity. And the first way the enemy tries to distort is to try to think you think to convince you that Jesus is less than he actually is. Can I just preach for a moment? Come on, our whole church needs to hear this. Jesus currently is more than you think he is. He's better than you think he is. He's stronger than you think he is. He's more merciful than you think he is. He's more powerful than you think he is. He's more generous than you think he is. His work of salvation is more complete and far reaching than you think it is. His plan is better than you think it is. Jesus is more than you think he is. And the enemy right now is trying to pull down the knowledge of God to make you think he's something less than he actually is. Jesus is king. He's the Lord of lords and he reigns supreme over all. He is preeminent. He is first. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha. He is, he is all that the Bible says he is. Come on. But if the enemy can't twist your idea of who he is, what he'll do is start to elevate your idea of who you are. He doesn't just try to seek to bring God down, but he seeks to try to put you in that place. The number one person he wants on the throne in your mind and your heart isn't God. It's not even him. It's you. It's me. And see, we have a problem not just of a low view of Jesus, but we have a problem of a high view of self. And we live in the age I would call the age of the sovereign self, don't we? We're kings and queens in our own minds. And frankly, we have more options than any other group of people in human history have. I read an article not too long ago. The the title was, Would You Trade Places with a Billionaire in 1918? 
And it's t- talking about all the things that Norman Rockefeller had at his disposal. And y'all, it doesn't touch what somebody on minimum wage has right now. We have a lot at our disposal. We live in one of the most affluent, resource-rich, personal autonomy-rich moments in human history. And although there's a lot of, lot of problems in the world, and there's a lot of talk about oppression and racism, the reality is in, in, the, in the scope of human history, there's never been more personal autonomy and opportunity. And that's the truth. There's never been more. We live in a time, though, that is absolutely catered around you, around me. Steve Jobs knew what he was doing in 1998 when he instituted a line of devices and he put the, little le- the letter I in front of it. iMac, iPod, iPhone, iPad. He knew that the world had come to the place where I am the focus. And he was very smart for that. He knew that there had been a 300-year progression since the age of enlightenment, since, you know, none of us have probably sat down and, and read, you know, Locke or we've read Voltaire and Rousseau. But the reality is we are drinking that Kool-Aid and breathing that air. John Stuart Mill once said, over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. And don't we live in that kind of landscape right now? This is kind of the the lie of surrounding culture. In a book called uh, Divine Sex, a guy named Jonathan Grant, he, he typified mainstream culture like this right now. Modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are. Isn't that true? The worst thing we can do is to conform to some moral code that is imposed on us from the outside by society, our parents, the church, or whoever else. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique identity. The authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. And that is the reality of the times we live in. And I, I suspect it has affected you and me more than we realize. That we have this sense of personal identity and personal autonomy and personal need of authenticity and personal authority. We're kings and queens in our own minds. But here's the problem. Jesus did not come to share his throne with you or with me. He invited us to surrender our crowns at his feet and to live under the reality of his lordship. And I wonder if we don't live in a time where Jesus is only sort of partially Lord, but the reality is, like A.W. Tozer once said, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And Jesus talked about divided loyalties. He, he, he knew this was coming. He knew this was a problem. He, he, he said in Luke, Luke 6, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Your, your actions don't line up with your words. You call me Lord, Lord. Not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, which means like ultra Lord. And yet your actions would indicate that you're Lord or your feelings are Lord or your urges are Lord or your finances are Lord or whatever. He says, why do you call me Lord? He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon. What's he talking about? It's like this, this, this issue of divided loyalty. He later said, a kingdom divided will fall, a house divided will not stand. 
And I think we see, if we, if we had time to do a real study, we could probably find ways that the sovereign self has infected and affected our understanding of the gospel. You know, I was thinking about, like, think of some of the language we say. Say, you know what, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus was never lost. You were. I was. He found me. The gospel is while we were yet sinners, while we had nothing to offer, he came and he saved us by his good grace and by grace alone. There was nothing you did. You didn't go on a hunt for Jesus. He'd been hunting for you since day one. You just had to stop and say, here I am. That's the gospel. Or we'll say things like, I invited Jesus into my heart. And you'll, you know, and you'll see maybe the quote from Revelation where he says, I stand at the door and knock. And I do believe Jesus wants to invade every part of your life. But don't get it twisted. Jesus did not come here to prop up your life. He didn't come here to be some kind of holy helper to your agenda. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean? What does he mean? He means you're going to die to self. And that life will come as you lay down your right to be right, as you lay down your personal autonomy and you pick up the cross and say, I will follow you wherever you lead. Or you know what a common one is? I hear this all the time. Jesus loves me just the way I am. Which is to say, don't tell me that there's something about me that needs to change. Don't tell me that there's something about me that God doesn't love because God loves me just the way I am. Yes, God loves you in a love that you could never wrap your head around. And yet he loves you far too much to let you stay the way you are in your brokenness. Jesus does not love sin. He does not love our sense of entitlement or our sense of victimization or our sense of self-importance. He doesn't love those things. He He comes against those things. Jesus did not come and die and rise to enthrone you in your throne. He did not come. He is the king all by himself. You didn't vote him in. You didn't elect him. You didn't put him there. I didn't put him there. He is king of kings and lord of lords all by himself. And it is time that we pull away some of that modern deception that says Jesus came to kind of help you get along in your life. No, no, no. It's an announcement of that Jesus is Lord and he's either Lord or he's not. You decide. And if you ever took seriously what Jesus actually said, you would realize that one of the main deceptions of our day is that the enemy has convinced people that Jesus just thought of himself as a good and moral teacher. But nobody who says the things that Jesus said, like, I am God, is a good moral teacher. He's either, like C.S. Lewis said, he's either a lunatic or Lord, you decide, but there's no in-between. He said he intended there to be no in-between. You've got to make that decision. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And if he's really king of kings and Lord of lords, it means he has to be king over everything. And I believe it is time right now for us, his church, to reestablish his lordship, to remind ourselves that he is king and that if he is king, there's all sorts of things that are not king that we need to just 
take off the throne. If Jesus is king, then viruses are not. If Jesus is king, then the economy is not. If Jesus is king, then the nations are not. The president is not. The prime minister is not. The government is not. Pop culture is not. Celebrities are not. The mob is not. Political correctness is not king. If Jesus is king, then all those things that aren't Jesus that you fear, not king. If Jesus is king, then Satan is not. If Jesus is king, then sin is not. Money is not. Illness is not. Shame is not. Regret is not. Mistakes are not. Brokenness is not. Addiction is not. Sexuality is not. Your sexuality is not king. Possessions are not. Your stuff is not king. Your retirement is not king. Your plans are not king. Your happiness is not king. Your comfort is not king. Your feelings are not king. Your friends are not king. Your stuff is not king. Your family is not king. My spouse is not king. Your ex-spouse is not king or queen. Your kids are are not king. I feel like I'm preaching to the powers right now. Jesus is king. And as for me and my house, we will serve King Jesus. And we just issue a statement right now. I feel it in the spirit. We issue a statement right now to the powers and principalities that have corrupted and complicated the minds of believers. And we establish Jesus as king. And we say, anything that is not named Jesus does not have permission to sit on that throne. Let me ask you a question. You look at your life. Do inventory, because you can't trust your own mind and your own heart sometimes. Does your focus tell the story that Jesus is king? The things that you're fixated on, does it say that Jesus is king? Does your time say that Jesus is king? How you spend your time? Do your fears tell the story that Jesus is king? Sovereign. Do your friends and relationships tell the story that Jesus is king? Does your money say Jesus is Lord? Jesus is king. And the best thing in the world is that we realize that not only is he the true king, but he's the good king. He's the good king. Really quick, I want to unpack this for us because I think this is really important that we start to build some framework. Are you you all still with me? Everybody, other locations? Just, I'll be done in a minute. But if Jesus is king, I am not. Amen? Like just someone remind your own spirit of that today. And I'm not picking on anybody. Every single one of us are prone to placing ourselves on that throne. Aren't we? Every one of us. But if Jesus is king, then I am not. And I just want to say it's better that way. You know what a freeing thing it is to realize that he is greater than you thought he, he is, that he's better than you thought he was, and that there is immense rest in realizing that the universe is not on my shoulders. Life is heavy, isn't it? It's hard. It's a beautiful thing to be able to say, I actually prefer, Jesus, that you be king. You're better at it. You're better at it. Here's a few things I just want to unpack for us and give us a framework before we're done today. What does this mean? How do we, how do we interpret? One of, one of my prayers for us right now as a church, uh, a friend of mine named Jeff Vanderstelt, he, he, he uses the term gospel fluency. And one of my hopes for us right now 
is that we understand how to interpret the gospel as a language and a lens by which we see everything. And we've got to see and learn what the gospel is and is not. And here's a few starting points for you, because I think this is going to brush right up against where culture is in your life. If Jesus is king, then first and foremost, this is so important, and just stay with me for five more minutes. In him, we find our identity. If Jesus is king, this is the question about our being. If Jesus is king, then in him we find our identity. I am who he says I am. Can you say that with me? I am who he says I am. No, say it like you believe it. All our locations. I am who he says I am. That is the truth of the gospel. There is a cultural gospel that says I am what my feelings say they are. Or I am what my past says I am. Or I am what my fears say I am. Or I am what my friends say I am. Tribalism. These are my people and this is us. But the gospel is I am who he says I am. And that means I actually give up my old identity. This is why Paul said, Galatians 2.20, check it out. It should be a life verse for you, help you understand the gospel. I have been crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live through faith in the one who died. It's no longer I who live, he says. Let's not miss that part. It's no longer I who live, but the life I now live, I I live through faith in the one who died for me and gave himself up for me. In other words, I have resigned my personal autonomy and authority, and I have followed Jesus to find who I am in him. That is right at the heart of the most modern deceptions that we are dealing with right now in the church. Jesus did not come to affirm your identity. He came to crucify your identity and give you a brand new one that is better. Oh, hear me on that. He did not come to affirm you in your identity. If you are a Christian, you do not identify as male or female or transgender or gay or straight, or you identify as crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live through faith in him. Christian is your identity. Christ follower is your identity. Son of God, here's where it gets, becomes good news. It's not just about resigning your rights, which you have to. If you follow Jesus, you lay down your rights. You cannot be a victim and be a Christian because Jesus is the victim. And you follow him voluntarily in the things that you have been victimized. You lay them down at his feet and you you take up a new creation in him. You lay down your entitlement and follow Jesus. But here's where it becomes good news. It's not just the resignation of your old self, but the Bible says he puts on a new self that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, that you have been given an inheritance, that we share his inheritance, that we have become sons and daughters of God. Like what an unbelievable identity. Like if that just could actually settle on us in this season, sons and daughters of God. Like have you ever met somebody super important that knew you and they said, hey, there's Brent. Doesn't that feel amazing? Imagine if you saw Jesus at the mall And he said, hey, there's Tim. Wouldn't you feel special? The Bible goes way further than that. It says God sees you. He calls you to himself and calls you sons and daughters. 
Imagine how insane it is that we want to be seen as something other than that. That I want to be seen on Instagram as a cool person or as this or that. When God himself will call you a son and daughter, it changes our identity. Here's another thing. In him, we find our authority. I can do what he says I can do. This is about our lifestyle. This is about how we live. This is about realizing. You know, there's, a, there's a, another cultural ideology, and that is that cash is king or that the government is king. But Christians believe that Jesus is king, which means that, one, he rules over me. Y'all, let me just press on us a little bit more before I'm done. Jesus is the master. He's the master. He's not your employer. You can't quit on him. He's not your politician. You don't elect him. He's the master, the Lord. You serve him. You serve him. That's so crucial that we get this. I, I was thinking about the, go check out Joshua chapter five sometime. You have a few minutes. Joshua chapter five, there's this teaching moment for Joshua before he leads Israel in conquering the land. He comes up on the Lord of heaven's armies and he says to the Lord of heaven's armies, he says, whose side are you on? Are you with us or for our enemies? And the Lord of heaven's army just looks at him and says, what do you mean sides? There's my side and everybody else. Get on it, I suggest. And it's this humbling moment. See, you realize if Jesus is king, that means he rules over me. But not only that, I wish I had more time than I do today. He releases you. You aren't just obligated to him, but he actually gives us opportunity. I can do what he says I can do. So he calls you. He equips you. The Bible says he predestined you to do good works. He actually said, you will do even greater things than me. If Jesus has authority over death, over sickness, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. He's saying, go in my authority. How incredible is that? I'm excited about it, even though you're not here at the valley. I think they are at West. In him, we find our responsibility. I have what he's given me. How, how much does comparison destroy us? Jesus once told a parable of, of, of servants who were given talents. One was given one, one was given three, one was given five. And the ones that stewarded what they'd, get, they'd been given before the master were rewarded. And the one that had a scarcity mentality, the one that compares, why well, I only get one and you got three? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are called to steward what he's given us. We're called to be grateful for what he's given us. Amen? Stop comparing your life with the Joneses. What's it matter to you? It's like when Peter was told by Jesus that you're going to die. Remember that? At the end of the Gospel of John, he said, you're going to be led somewhere you don't want to go and you're going to die. And then he looks at John and he says, well, what about him? Does he have to die for you? You know what Jesus' answer was? What's it to you? I'll use him how I want to use him. I'm going to use you how I want to use you. Get in or get out. He's not budging. He's not budging, but he offers you incredible opportunities. A couple more thoughts. In him, we find our vitality. We find our glory. I'm satisfied by him. I'm satisfied by him. The Bible says that he didn't only call us, he chose us, and that we stand in him, and he gives us right standing. And then it says he shares his glory with us. Can you imagine how it will feel to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from Jesus? You should live for that validation. 
not for the validation that a stupid like can give you or that you are right in an argument. Live for well done, good and faithful servant. There is nothing more glorious than that. And in him, we find our destiny. We find our destiny. You know, there's a, there's a false gospel, and that is the gospel of progress, the good news of progress, that if we can just get the right policies, if we can just get the right political leader, if we can just get the right human ruler, we're going to be able to create utopia. That's really what all of these arguments and culture wars are ultimately about, aren't, they? aren't it? Aren't, isn't it? It's about how do we get to heaven? How do we get perfection here on earth? But us as believers, we believe that our hope is not in some political policy or some cultural ideology or some agenda. Our hope is in the king who rules and reigns presently and is coming in fullness. Our hope is in his coming kingdom. When we think of what's a perfect world, a perfect world is Revelation chapter 20, 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for he will be with them and he will be his people. He will be with them, he will be their God and they will be his people. That's the vision that we live in. We find our confidence, our hope in him. His kingdom is better than our kingdom and we can't have his kingdom without his kingship, amen? See, a lot of the time what we're looking for is the kingdom without the king, but you can't have that. We say, come Lord Jesus, have your way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, you're the king and it's better that way because you rule with truth and you rule with grace and you rule with life and you rule with freedom and you rule with peace. You're the prince of peace. And so we say, Jesus, you're the king. You're the king and it's better that way. He's the true king. He's the kind king. He's the perfect king. He's the powerful king. He's the gentle king. He's the loving king. He's the lasting king. He's the sovereign king. He's the wise king. He's the righteous king, the good king, the holy king, the accessible king, the serving king, the saving king, the faithful king, the king of peace, the king of joy, the king of glory, the king of might, the king of life, the king over death, king over the universe, the Lord of lords, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of heaven and earth. And if he said it, we believe it. If he wants it, we'll do it. If he says go, we'll go. If he says no, it's no. If he says yes, it's yes. Everything to him, everything for him, everything through him, everything by him. Jesus, be the center of this church. Jesus, be the center of these people. Jesus, be the center of this province. Jesus, be the center of this region. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And as for me and my house, come on, make a decision. Let's stand together. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve King Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve King Jesus. Can we just, I'm going to ask you to do something here, but this might just give you an idea of who's your king and who's not. I want us to just to raise our hands as a sign of surrender, a universal sign of surrender to King Jesus. Come on, all of our locations online, in your home, in your living room, let's raise our hands and let's pray a prayer of surrender over our homes, over our households, over this church. So God, we just say, Jesus is king. Come on, say it with me. Jesus is king. Jesus, you are the king. You are king over life, king over death, king over the earth, and king over us. And we say, Lord, establish your kingdom, Lord Jesus, in us. 
God, forgive us for ways we have thought you to be less than you actually are. Begin by tearing down strongholds that block us from the knowledge of your greatness and glory and goodness. You're better than we thought you were. And so Jesus, establish your kingdom in us. Establish your kingdom in our minds, in our hearts, in our families, in our homes, and God, in this church. Lord, would we be known as a Jesus people, people whose lives scream, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. People whose words are filled with hope of the good news of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Father, would you establish us deep in the kingdom reality of who you are, King Jesus. Do a fresh work of alignment in us, we pray. Lord, we just lay down the idols at your feet. We say, be removed in Jesus' name. And Jesus, have your way. Take your seat. Take your place in us as a people in a fresh and new way, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Come on, give him praise. Come on, we praise you, King Jesus. Yes.